0: This is Laren Baker, and welcome back to the Kitchen Confidant Podcast. Today, we're chatting with Micah Siva. Based in San Francisco, Micah is a trained chef, registered dietitian, recipe writer, and food photographer, and the voice behind the blog, Nosh with Micah, where she shares Jewish-inspired, plant-forward recipes. Along with her husband, Josh, Micah wrote 123 Nosh With Me, an illustrated children's book about Jewish food and their meanings. She is back with a new book, Nosh, Plant Forward Recipes Celebrating Modern Jewish Cuisine. Welcome to the podcast, Micah. Thank you so much for having me.
1: I appreciate you
0: uh, taking the time to chat with me. Oh, I'm really excited to chat with you. We have we share a very plant-forward approach to food, so I can't wait to hear more about it. But first, I always start by asking what's the first thing that you ever cooked and about how old were you? The first thing
1: I remember cooking, I suppose, besides mac and cheese from a box, <laughs> is was probably thimble cookies with my grandmother.
0: Oh, how sweet. And so Mm -hmm. why are they called thimble? I'm not familiar with with this cookie.
1: So it's it's almost like a shortbread-ish dough, but you use a thimble to make a little hole on the top and then you fill it with jam. So they're like, we called them thimble cookies, but we would always go raspberry picking together. Then we'd make the jam or she'd make most of the jam. And then we would make thimble cookies after the fact. So usually you use a little thimble to make that indent instead of like your thumb, I guess.
0: Oh, okay. That's actually a really neater and more precise way because, yeah, we call them, I call them thumbprint cookies, but everybody's thumb is a little different. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's so cute. I love it. So could you tell everyone a little bit more about yourself and what inspired you to pursue a career in food and your path in creating Nosh with Micah?
1: Yeah, so like I mentioned, I grew up cooking with my grandmother and my mom there, my grandmother was and my mom is to this day, big entertainers, they love hosting dinner parties, all of the holidays were always held at our house because they were always the best cooks and so, so many of my memories growing up came from being in the kitchen. And so much so that even in high school, I would have 30 people from my class come over for dinner and I'd make these elaborate multi-course dinners. I would bake pies every week for everyone. I was always in charge of birthday parties and everything food related for my group of friends. And so I decided to go to culinary school after a one semester in a, a program in nursing, which I realized I'm afraid of hospitals. So left that pretty quickly. <laughs> um, and so I decided to go to culinary school in New York and it was incredible. I absolutely loved it. I loved the experience and I'm originally Canadian and so my student visa was expiring and I had to figure out what what I did next after my time in New York. And so I went on to become a dietitian in Canada. So I chose that path because it was food related and I liked the food aspect and I knew I wasn't cut out for the kitchen because I cry at everything and I don't have I don't have the personality to be in a restaurant kitchen by any means. So My passion's always been in food and then dabbling into the wellness industry as well. And throughout my time in university studying, I had a small catering company, so I would do all of the professors, dinner parties and birthday parties and and faculty events. And I also worked in food product development in an incubation center uh, that was affiliated with campus as well. And then fast forward to, I want to say 2017, it was 2017. I was working as a dietitian, I felt really disconnected from the food aspect of things and I just wanted to get essentially re-inspired to cook dinner every night. And so I made a general run-of-the-mill vegetarian blog. It was very mediocre. We'll be honest about that. Happy to be honest about how mediocre my blog was. I'm sure your mediocre is amazing to anybody else. I don't know. I think <laughs> only my mom read it. If she even read it, I don't know. Nobody read it, maybe my husband. But I I really enjoyed the creative aspect of coming up with the recipes, taking photos, the writing, and I liked that process a lot. And then in 2018, my husband and I moved to the UK, we we moved to London for a work transfer on his part. And after applying to all of these dietitian jobs and realizing that I really wasn't passionate about being a dietitian, I started applying to food media jobs. And that's really where I learned that this could be a career. So I worked with BuzzFeed UK doing the branded content for a couple of years um making recipes for everything from philadelphia cream cheese to captain morgan's um nothing dietitian related things that you wouldn't necessarily eat most days but things that go viral on the internet Mm -hmm. and then we moved to the states in 2020 and in that year i saw the rise I, i now call it that first bump in anti-semitism that i had seen in at least my lifetime and it really worried me. I was new to the States. We didn't have our community yet. And there were so many things going on that made me feel really sad, on especially online. And I had a small platform. So I said, you know what? The Jewish food aspect of what I do whenever I've been making those foods, that's what brings me the most joy. That's what makes me feel the most connected to my community. And of course, it was during COVID. I was craving connection, like most of us were. Mm-hmm. And I decided to change my nutrition blog that I'd been playing around with for those years into a Jewish food-based blog, essentially, and show up as a proud Jewish woman online, which came with its um, own challenges, but it's been the best thing I've ever, ever done. I've made such great connections within the Jewish community and without, with the greater community of food bloggers as well, representing mm-hmm. Jewish food and since I was 12 or 13, I I don't even remember, but I've been vegetarian on and off vegan. And I wanted a way to connect to my community and my heritage through my food. And that's why I decided to create Nosh with Micah, which is a plant forward Jewish blog. So not, it's not all vegan. A lot of it is, um, there is a sprinkle of some smoked salmon situations in there. You can't, can't please everyone, you know? Yeah. And really just focusing on how can I take traditional Jewish food or Jewish ingredients and show help them show up in the 21st century so that people like myself in their 30s with a young family will want to make these dishes every day of the week and not just for the holidays. So that's how Nosh with Micah came to be, mm. the long-winded way.
0: No, it's a great story. And I'm guessing that you really filled a gap because, you know, Eating plan forward is, I feel, more popular than ever, Um, and it will continue to, to be so. But at the same time, I imagine it was really challenging for you to convert maybe some favorites, especially with such a rich culinary tradition, the Jewish tradition. The food is very central to a lot of celebration. So what, I guess, recipes were the most critical for you to get right?
1: That's a great question because so much of the food that I grew up was strictly meat and potatoes mm-hmm. and like literally just meat and potatoes. And so a lot of the meat dishes like a brisket or um, I guess brisket was probably the biggest one to re-cre- recreate because you use that mm-hmm. at so many holidays. And then if we're going vegetarian, gefilte fish, which is like a yes. very specific dish that we eat on Passover. Many people hate it. I grew up get, eating homemade gefilte fish that was super rich in my own family's tradition and story. But if you've never had fresh gefilte fish or homemade, it's, it's really quite icky. Like it's not good. It comes in a jar that with like this jellied broth. And that was one that I really wanted to recreate. And that's one of my favorite recipes in the book. I use a mixture of cauliflower and cashews and meal, which is kind of like a breadcrumb mm-hmm. carrots and make them into little patties and so it it gives that same look and feel of a gefilte fish which is typically like a boiled oh. um
0: fish <laughs> there. we see buckwheat in the background he's a beautiful dog oh my
1: god he is beautiful he is he's a stunner um, so yeah gefilte fish is one of the biggest ones on top of brisket then of course thinking about things like a pastrami sandwich, things that you might get in a deli and looking at those. And it's it's so interesting in Jewish cuisine, because you either eat a meat meal where you have meat and no dairy, or you eat a dairy meal where there's no meat at all. So there's still lots of vegetarian and even dairy-free vegan dishes in Jewish cuisine, but I don't think people always separate it out that way. Yeah. So when I was thinking about vegetarian Jewish food, it actually came a lot more naturally than I, than I thought. And I think it's just convincing people who grew up with meat and potatoes that we can get these foods and we can celebrate these traditions without Brisket, but if you want brisket on your table, here are 110 side dishes or a th- one million side dishes full, full of vegetables to help you balance out your meal. And I think that's the beauty of a plant-forward book and plant-forward ethos is that there is less rules mm-hmm. in in a lot of ways, and it's it's really welcoming to people who aren't ready or interested in taking a leap into vegetarianism or veganism.
0: Yeah. Okay. For those who are like new to this way of eating, I know for me, it was always the concern, oh, where am I going to get my protein? So let's let's talk very quickly about your favorite sources of protein when you're
1: first trying this out. So- This question is such a big one for dietitians to get. I feel like I could literally write a novel about protein sources. Mm -hmm. But my favorite protein source is opening a can of beans. It's cheap, it's quick, it's cheerful, and just adding beans to what you're making. Mm -hmm. And people definitely think that they need a lot more protein than they actually do. And they don't realize that almost everything is protein. The bread we're eating, some of the vegetables we're eating, of course, beans, playing around with tofu and tempeh. Um, is a great way to get protein. And then knowing that you can kind of scatter your protein throughout the day. So maybe you're eating some nuts as a snack. Maybe you're eating roasted chickpeas as another snack. If you're eating dairy, including Greek yogurt um, as a, and cheese as well. So my my personal favorite is beans. I eat beans for, not exclusively, I eat beans at least once a day in, as one of my protein sources. And then I really tried to look at, other dishes like tofu, tempeh, um, and whatnot to fill the rest, or edamame are are great as well. I'm not a big fan of meat analogs, like impossible meat or um, things like that, only because for me personally, they don't make me feel good. But if that's what helps someone to try a plant-based protein, then I don't think there's any bad way to experiment with your, with your eating as long as it you're not allergic to it. So yeah. just try something new, add a can of beans, it's a dollar.
0: Right, beans are my absolute favorite. I have like a whole cupboard just full of canned beans, which is great because it you can just open it anytime. It doesn't require refrigeration. It's just always ready. So, but what's something that I found interesting that you also point out, which is a really good thing to point out is iron. It's not something that we speak about often. So what are your favorite sources of iron?
1: So iron's tougher when we're we're following a plant-based diet because iron that comes from plant sources isn't absorbed as well in your body than when it comes from meat source. But that doesn't mean that we need to worry about it. It just means we have to be mindful. So the first thing when I talk about iron is eating it with um, something that contains vitamin C, so that's most vegetables, and then avoiding things that um, can inhibit the absorption. So that would be things like calcium and also things like coffee even so -hmm. just if you're going to have an iron rich meal watch out don't have a cup of coffee right beforehand um and just be mindful of when we're going to be eating our iron but then when it comes to sources nuts and seeds are often a great source lentils are a great source and knowing that some people are more likely to be iron deficient women are more likely to be iron deficient i know when i was pregnant i was iron deficient. It, and once you show up on a test, you're not going to get it back up with food. So mm-hmm. talking to your healthcare provider about a supplement, of course, is is the, typically the best thing to do. And it's very common to be on, supple- on a supplement for iron, especially as a woman, and in my case, a pregnant woman. So <laughs> just knowing that iron one of the harder one with being vegetarian. But if you're eating nuts, seeds and beans, then you're typically okay. Got um, it keep just keeping it in mind though always something to think about
0: yeah the coffee tip is a really good one especially for people who are addicted to their co- caffeine i think it's a good thing to note yeah. keep it in your back pocket so how did your book come about because first of all i have to say it's beautiful um Thank you. but i'd love to know more about how it came about and the whole process of writing and photographing and testing
1: So I started to just play around in a Google Doc about five years ago thinking, why isn't there a vegetarian Jewish cookbook? Mm -hmm. And I've also seen the rise in all of these vegan vegetarian cookbooks for other cuisines around the world. There's Korean vegan, there's Indian vegan, there's all these beautiful cookbooks that are coming out to showcase that, hey, you can enjoy this cuisine as a vegetarian or vegan, and I didn't see it necessarily in the Jewish community, but there's people out there who are interested in it. And I also think it's a really great way for, with all these cookbooks, for people to diversify their cookbook shelf and diversify their kitchen and try something new. And so I've just been playing around with writing what I thought would be a good one. Through my children's book, I was connected to a publisher, pitched the idea to them, and they were interested, so that set things in motion, which was exciting. And then, essentially, I had a list of 200-plus recipe names and titles that I'd just been throwing into this Google Doc over the past five years. And so I called through them, thought which ones would make sense. I knew that we wanted about 100 recipes, and I started to build what I thought would be a preliminary recipe list with my editor. Um, in terms of the photos, I did the photos myself. I work as a food photographer, and I know the cost of doing food photography or getting a food photographer for a cookbook typically goes on to the writer. Mm-hmm. And it's such a huge expense to come out of an advance or your own pocket. So I said, I can't afford myself, so I will do it myself because I can't afford someone else either. <laughs> so I I, I just Every time I tested a recipe, I took a photo as if it was for the book. So I just amassed 10 plus variations of each recipe in photos because I was testing them so often and mm-hmm. playing around with it and getting new props and backdrops drops and everything. So it was a really cool experience to have that control over the food photography and knowing that, hey, if one night at 3 a.m., I'm thinking of this sp- specific recipe and photo that I took, don't love. I can also not have to worry about it. So I had a good amount of time to retake any photos I needed to. So I was testing, taking photos. I had 60 recipe testers throughout the process who were going through recipes, giving feedback. I would change things, send it out again for testing. And it was a really cool way to connect with my community, first of all, and also mm-hmm. a really fun way to play around with some of the dishes that um, I'd dreamed about for years and some recipes were complete flops. I would try to make them like 20 times and I wasted so much in terms of ingredients. I mean, we ate it all. We were just (laughs) unhappy eating it um, because they never turned out the way that I wanted to. So sometimes you had to take away a recipe. Some nights I would again, wake up at three in the morning and have an idea for a recipe that was never on my radar. And I had to switch one out to make sure there was space. And it was such a fluid process where it was always evolving, always changing, last minute changes all the time. Maybe I saw once the designer was putting the layout together that I actually didn't like these two pages side by side. So, hey, I'm going to retake this photo. Um I took the cover photo probably 12 times. And oh if you see my the cover, it, it, the cover is just a bunch of the dishes. Yeah. And I never did it fully thought out, so I kept having to make all of those dishes to get it on the cover photo, which oh, that's was insane. In retrospect, I should have planned that out a bit more and had more <laughs> conversations about it because I was like, oh my gosh, I need to make a challah and a matzo ball soup and I need to make these bagels and the pickles and the cookies and then everything. And it we had a lot of leftovers. And yeah, now it's it comes out March 5th. So they're fully, everything's fully done. It's in the warehouse, ready to be unleashed to the world. I have a copy um, and I'm just so excited for people to start cooking with it and hopefully, hopefully fall in love with it as much as I have. It was a cool time to write a book because I was writing and right after I handed in my manuscript while I was still taking photos, I got pregnant. And Perfect now I have it. I know now I have an eight-week old, which will be kind of on tour with me. Oh wow. And it, it really signifies a special time in my life where all these things were happening and it's kind of like the first part of my son's life was spent in obviously in utero, but throughout this process, I think, which is, which I think is pretty cool. And actually the day that we brought him home from the hospital was the day my first copy came to the house. So we could like unleash both babies at once where now I had a human baby and my cookbook baby. Yeah, um, it's almost like he has a twin. (laughs) I know. Yeah, I know. I keep joking that cookbooks, for those who don't know, really are not a lucrative um, thing to do. We're not becoming millionaires, most of us, off of a cookbook. So I joke that it's going to maybe pay for his diapers, um, (laughs) and that would be great. (laughs) Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I, I think it's great
0: that you got the book out, and now you can focus a little bit on your baby. While also pushing the book out into the world, which is super exciting. I know that I am so excited because I grew up in New York. So mm-hmm. for me, I couldn't help but be influenced by my Jewish friends and their delicious food. And of course, all the deli. So when I saw your bagel with the carrot locks, mm-hmm. quote unquote, I was thrilled because that's something that I really miss. First of all, just from being home. Like whenever we actually my husband just a week or so ago came back from New York and brought some bagels back. But Mm -hmm. what I was really missing was just the right amount of schmear, the right kind of locks. So I cannot wait to try this carrot lox. Is it hard to make? It doesn't look that hard.
1: It's super easy to make. And actually my favorite recipe for bag- to put on my bagels is the white fish and heart of palm salad. Mm. So it's using white beans and hearts of palm in lieu of white fish. Yeah, and so if you so like good. white fish salad from a deli, that's mm-hmm. I make that all the time and just eat it with crackers. So oh, both okay. of them are great choices, both like a smoky fish analog. But the carrot locks is super easy.
0: Awesome. Okay, we also have to talk about your version of matzo ball soup. I love how you make it a little more comforting than your normal. Mm
1: -hmm. So in the book, I have two recipes for matzo balls. One is using eggs because you can't – there are some people who just never want to try a vegan matzo ball, and I respect those people. Mm -hmm. So this is my favorite way to make them. And then I serve my matzo ball soup with a turmeric vegetable broth that's a little spicy because it gives it that really beautiful golden color that you don't get when you're not making it with chicken. Mm -hmm. But my vegan matzo balls are – I tested this recipe thirty times. It took me thirty times to get this. Um, I learned that you steam vegan matzo balls to help them keep their shape versus oh, boiling them. Smart. And the amount—I swear that that last version where I was happy with it were steamed directly in my tears because it took me so long to—it fi- took me so long to figure that out. But I love that it's like a little bit more warming because there are there is a, with the turmeric, there is jalapeno, a little bit of ginger. And I think it just makes it a little bit, it's, it's so fun. And it's just a different way to enjoy a matzo ball soup as well, which still pays homage to the original. So we don't have to worry about that. Mm-hmm. But the vegan matzo balls are, are, are very special to me. My mom was in town when I, when we were testing it and her and I were just sit on the kitchen floor with our head in our hands and thinking like, this has to work. Like there has to be a way to do this. Cause I had tried every single recipe online for vegan balls that I could find. And none of them worked. None Mm -hmm. of them worked for me that I could find online in other blogs. Cause I was like, maybe this is, let me test all of them to see which ones taste the best and then make my own. None of them worked. They all Mm -hmm. turned into absolute mush. And so once I, had the idea to steam them, I swear I should have won a Nobel Peace Prize. <laughs> and I probably I cried so many tears of joy that day. Um so it was it's it's for many reasons, not just for being Matsubal soup, but it is a very comforting soup because it it took so much out of me to to figure that one out.
0: I love when you find success like that in the kitchen and you you solve a problem that you know I think a lot of people will be excited to try. Um yeah I hope so. I'm really curious too about your challah because you have a beautiful version in your book, but I was just wondering, have you ever tried it with a flax egg for the people who are omitting eggs from their diet? I'm just curious if you've ever had any success with that.
1: I've not used a flax egg, but I do have a vegan version and it, I, because you can make challah slash bread without eggs, right? It's mm-hmm. totally doable. I use tahini as a fat source in okay. my vegan challah. so it's a little bit denser because you aren't getting that egg, but you do get the fat from the tahini, which mimics kind of the fat in an egg yolk, which I find mm-hmm. um, really nice. And it's it's a nice flavor. So I've not used a flax egg. So because I use, I rely on the um, yeast and the gluten, of course, to keep it together because the purpose of the egg is really to help lift it and to provide a rich flavor, right. So the yeast is already lift, doing the lifting, the heavy lifting. We'll use that pun. Right. And then the the tahini gives the rich flavor. So I, I've been using that, and that's my favorite way to do halal vegan. Mm-hmm. Is with tahini. super
0: smart. Mm-hmm. Okay, so in your book, you wrote that your grandmother is mm-hmm. it Eva or Eva? Eva. Eva wrote, uh, she taught you that love can be shown in many ways and to win the hearts of the ones you love, you must do so through their stomachs, which I think is such an incredible lesson for most people. One of my favorite things to do is to cook and feed people. What other lessons have you learned from her that just is present in your everyday cooking?
1: That's a great question. I think She was such a firecracker, first of all. She was so sassy all the time. Like, she would tell me when I'm done with Josh, my husband, send him to her because she would want to have her way with him, which was kind of weird. But she was just, like, a sassy woman. Whenever I would do something, she would, like – pinch my tush and be like, you go be sexy. She was just like a wild lady. In fact, she wanted to change her name to Ziva because she there was a character on TV named Ziva. So she made us all call her Ziva for like a year. She was just such a firecracker. And I think with all of that, she really just wanted me and my family to be ourselves and be unapologetically ourselves. And so I remember when I told my gran- my parents and my grandparents that I wanted to leave university and go to culinary school, it was met with a lot of different reactions. And all she said to me was, go be sexy. That sounds great. I love you. Aww. And it was it was so special because she's the person who really inspired me to get in the kitchen and she was so supportive of what I was doing and just so excited to hear any updates and see photos and and cook together. And so I think that a lesson from her was just the unwavering support to follow your passion and do what you wanted, do what you wanted to do. And of course, um, being she was all always like dressed to the nines. She always had lipstick on and pearls and her big diamond rings in the kitchen. <laughs> and I think she took so much pride in how she looked. And granted, I don't do that most days, especially now as a new mom. But I think just showing up, even if it's just for yourself. Which she often did. She'd get like she didn't get dressed for anyone but herself, but just showing up for yourself is so important and um just being yourself is important. So outside of the kitchen for sure, but she was such a for she's a force, she was a force to be reckoned with. It's very strong woman. Well, you're so lucky to have had such a
0: sweet relationship with her. Mm-hmm. Um I cannot wait to cook from your book. And before I let you go, I just have some really quick closing questions kind of rapid fire a little bit (laughs) what's something that you make when you're too tired to cook your emergency go-to dinner
1: uh i would say eggs and toast good answer most days gotta have
0: an egg (laughs) what's the one recipe that you treasure the most
1: my grandmother eva's krepla which are like little soup dumplings Mm. are you a messy cook or a neat cook oh so messy (laughs)
0: so So messy. I'm messy too. What's a good kitchen tip that you can share?
1: Always use fresh garlic. Never buy the mint stuff that you keep in your fridge.
0: Oh, I agree. And every Friday I try to share five little things with my audience. Something that made me smile that week. Is there anything that made you smile this week?
1: Oh, I love this. Um, Something that made me smile this week was actually every Friday, my husband and I share five things that we're grateful for as well. So this is very, this is very in line with what we do. Um, But this week, I took the time and left the boys at home and went to go paint pottery with a girlfriend for the first for my first baby free outing in eight weeks. And it was really nice to prioritize myself and my my friendship that day.
0: Oh, you deserve it. I remember what it's thank like you. to be a, a new mom. And oh my gosh, those first forays outside of the house are kind of scary, but so much. Like you get so oh, yeah. much joy, even if it's just 20 minutes. So I'm glad you got to do that. Yeah. So that, <laughs> well, that
1: brought me a lot of joy and peace this week.
0: <laughs> oh, good. Micah, thank you so much for spending time with me. Where can everyone find you and where can they find your book, Nosh?
1: So you can find me at Nosh with Micah, N-O-S-H with M-I-C-A-H on Instagram. That's also my um, website. And you can find Nosh wherever books are sold, um, whether it's your favorite indie bookseller, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, wherever, wherever you buy it, it's a great place to buy it. If you buy it on sale, even better. So buy it at your favorite bookstore, preferably your local one.
0: Awesome. And you have a book tour coming out, so I guess they'll find that all on your Thank website, you. right?
1: Yes. So if you are going to be in any of the cities that I'll be in, please come say hello. I've got a ton of events in March, April, and May, and even in June. Oh, so come wow. meet me. I'll pawn my baby off on you yeah. and uh, we'll, we'll nosh together. <laughs> I love it. It's win-win. You get like baby cuddles and a
0: cookbook and they get to meet you. Exactly. So. That's awesome. Exactly. Thank you, Micah. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. The more I flipped through the pages of Nosh, the more excited I am to try Micah's Plant Forward Recipes. It really is an exciting take on modern Jewish cuisine, and I've already bookmarked so many I want to try. She has recipes for kasha and mushroom cabbage rolls and duck crusted fried cauliflower steaks that look delicious thank you again to Micah for joining us today and to you for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's chat with Micah. And if you did, consider sharing it with a friend. I can't wait to see you in the next episode. Until then, happy cooking.